Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast. We started the podcast a few years ago to help improve knowledge around SEND. Yes, you can go and read lots of stuff, but we all are very busy. The phrase every teacher is a teacher of SEND is currently an ideal, not a reality. And we created the Sendcast to try and help solve that problem. Every week on the Sendcast, I have a different guest on that has come along to talk about a topic they are passionate about. And this week we're discussing reading, phonics and the dyslexic profile. My guest this week is Charlie Pitt-Miller, a consultant, assessor and tutor who supports students with dyslexia. Now, before we get started, I would like to remind you about B-Squared. Over the last 25 years, we have supported schools to support students with SEND. Our assessment products are used in over 10,000 schools around the world to help show small steps of progress, with around 1,700 using Connecting Steps, our assessment software. Our evidence system, Eversense, helps schools capture and share achievements that their pupils are making. Our online CPD offering, Training for Education, started two years ago with the Virtual Send Conference, but now includes a range of training courses as well as our conferences. If you want to find out more about B-Squared and how we can help your school, go to our website, www.bsquared.co.uk. There is lots of information available and you can book an online meeting to find out how we can support you. Or you can drop me an email. My email address is simply dale at bsquared.co.uk. And you'll find links to these in the show notes as well. Now, let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing reading, phonics, and the dyslexia profile. Joining me today is Charlie Pitt Miller. Charlie has a big focus on dyslexia coming from a long line of dyslexic learners. She has been a SENCO and is now a local authority specialist assessor and advisory teacher. She's also developed interventions for children who have not responded well to phonics. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. So phonics have been around for a number of years and are successful, but, big but, they don't work for all pupils and they aren't the only way to teach reading, are they? No, not at all. Okay, so first of all, then let's sort of ask the question. So what is reading? What is the aim? What are we trying to do when we're teaching children how to read? And let's keep it simple. I think that's probably the best thing to do. So really, at the end, the end goal then, then really is we're thinking about reading as having a bank of words stored in our long-term memory so that when we see them written on the page, we are able to recall them quite fluently and make sense of them in the context of the words that are around them. In my mind, you know, that is a quite simple way of looking at reading. Good readers have quite a a massive bank of these words in long-term memory and we, we can recall them when we see them and we're making sense of them in context. So where does phonics fit in that picture because we know it's sort of so heavily prescribed around you know this is how we teach children to read and we need to be thinking obviously in our minds we're thinking of beginning readers as well not experienced readers necessarily but we need to keep in mind that goal of, of what are we trying to achieve so phonics is about being able to link a sound that you know with a grapheme that you know and being able to then put those sounds together if we're reading the word, to blend those sounds together to make a a word. Or conversely, phonics is about being able to see a word and know those grapheme phoneme matches and be able to split that word up into its individual sounds 
in order to have a go at spelling it. So it's really, you know, it's based in that real phonology, that looking at that study of language and sounds within language and being able to use those to to decode. But it is about decoding. It's not reading. Phonics is being able to use those individual, isolate those individual sounds to be able to spell and read, to decode and encode words. It's not reading. It's a part of reading and it's a part of the process for learning to read if we can work with those units of sound. And it's been the prime and compulsory way to teach reading since 2007 with the provision of the Letters and Sounds programme that was free to all schools at that point in time. I hope that's given you a little bit of an idea of what our goal is, that we, we want these children to end up with a bank of words in long-term memory that they can read fluently when they see them and get that context going. And that phonics is a part of that journey when we're starting beginning reading. So you mentioned that phonics is that start of it, but it is. And once you've got phonics, it's, it is something that as you approach a new word, you will kind of, you can fall back on it, can't you? So you go, I recognize that bit. I recognize that bit. And it kind of leads into the phonology, which I only learned about doing this podcast, because you'll see this word and you'll go, and then you go, and then your phonology will give you the rhythm. So you know that that bit sounds at that speed and it will help you say the word. But that's quite a lot of things you're putting together. It is exactly. And it brings us straight on exactly. So, yeah, the phonology, the ability to, to process all of those sounds in words is exactly what we're going to come on to next. Because it's been a real interest to me, really, for a long time, this picture of dyslexia and how we've now viewed the picture of dyslexia with the Rose Review in 2009 with about reading and literacy difficulties and the definition that came from the Rose Review around dyslexia. And for me, it's always jarred against phonics, the use of phonics. There's this big sort of jarring up of what we're seeing with the characteristics of dyslexia and how children are being taught to read using phonics. And I've always questioned, well, you know, well, what, what's going on here? Why are we doing this when we know this? And so let's talk about what this is. So we know that dyslexia is about the fluency and accuracy of word reading and spelling. So when we're thinking about word reading, let's, let's sort of stick with reading. We know we've got spelling there as well, but it'd be good to just focus on the reading side of things. So we know that, you know, phonics is about word reading. Okay, that's that's one thing. We're not thinking about context. We're not thinking about trying to make sense and, and comprehension. We're thinking of word reading. And dyslexia is about the accuracy and fluency of word reading. Again, we're not thinking about comprehension. We're just trying to um, decode these words. So children who are dyslexic, that first defining sort of behaviors we look at when we're looking at what children are struggling with when they're reading is are they reading accurately and fluently at word level and that's that's your first part of your dyslexic picture the reasons and when I say dyslexia as well I need to be quite clear that if you've got your language in place we need to just let me go on a tangent <laughs> so pre-phonics and I think the reading framework was really good in this respect and we will go on to talk about the reading framework we need language children need to have that vocabulary and those language processes in place to be able to reason and, and think around language 
vocabulary is key and the reading framework does talk a lot about that, which is which is great because it's really important. But if children have got that basis, they've got that basis, they can reason with language, they've got good expressive skills, we know they're understanding language um, and they're able to take things on board and do things that they're expected to do within the curriculum when they're listening and learning, we can think, okay, there's a good basis there. There's a firm language base now on which to build those literacy skills, which is great. But for some children, that learning then does not happen. That literacy learning, despite good language skills, that literacy learning is not happening. And so what, why is that? What, what is that? What's going on? So we look at this sort of second characteristic, and it is in the dyslexia definition. However, I think we can get rid of the word dyslexia and we can think about persistent literacy difficulties because these persistent literacy difficulties are with the accuracy and fluency of word reading and spelling. The characteristics are likely to be there despite the word dyslexia. Dyslexia comes about when the child's had an assessment and they're, oh yes, you're dyslexic. But it's these characteristics that we're going to talk about in a minute that have created the difficulty, end of story, if the language is there. So it's important, I think. So some children have the opportunity to be assessed for dyslexia and some children don't have the opportunity to be assessed for dyslexia. And what we mustn't do is create a subset of children, right, well, you're dyslexic and you're not because they're both struggling. Both sets of children are struggling to learn to read and spell. And the underlying characteristics, which I'll talk about now, are going to be the reasons for all children learning, you know, having those difficulties, if we know that, especially if we know those language processes are all in place. The next sort of bullet point from the, the Rose Review um, of Dyslexia, or Rose Report of uh, uh, Reading and Literacy Difficulties, I should say, let's get it right, is about those underlying characteristics. What's creating this difficulty at word level for these children? And there's three key areas, and I'll, I'll tell you what the three are, and then we'll go back to each one and just chat around it. The first area is phonological awareness. The second area is verbal memory. And the third area is verbal processing speed. And they impact at word level, and they impact at classroom level as well you know there's a there's a there's a greater level of impact not just at word level but we'll stick it to word level for now and if you're interested Dale you can hack away at me and say well what do you mean <laughs> what's going on there I've got I've got so I'm listening going oh I've got questions here I've got I'm gonna wait wait she'll probably get onto that wait I'll wait I'll be a good boy so um okay so let's go back to phonological awareness and think around what that is so first of all, just to make it clear to everybody, phonological awareness is not phonics. Phonological awareness is one of the skills that underpin the ability to apply phonic knowledge. OK, so phonological awareness is about processing sounds in words. In the reading framework, it talks a lot about phonemic awareness. Now, phonemic awareness is the knowledge that words are made of sounds. Okay, so they want children to be aware that words are made of sounds, but they're not, doesn't really give any indication that some children might have any difficulty with phonological awareness. And phonological awareness is the skill of being able to blend sounds together, being able to hear a word and isolate all of the sounds within words and being able to manipulate sounds in words. Um, so that we can read and spell using phonics. So, go on. I was going to say, it's like the rhythm in words. It was like when you're saying, and I suppose with this thing, you, I was just thinking about this. So 
on the previous podcast, we talked about the importance of nursery rhymes for helping to teach this phonological awareness. Because in reality, you can, it's like rote counting. You can count, so you can say the numbers one, two, three, four, five, and have no idea what it actually means. And you can sing bar, bar, black sheep, or twice, without understanding what you're saying, but you're learning the pattern and the rhythms of the sound in your mouth. And your mouth is learning, oh, so twink, twi- twink. And you're learning it, and you're the, so yes. Yeah, so there's loads of that, and was I, and I found it fascinating hearing the importance of this. What I've just described, you know, was actually that very fine detail. So you know, if we think about the developmental process of phonological awareness, um, you know, it's the first thing. I mean, going back to letters and sounds, um, their aspect one or uh, about a letter and sound was all about. Um, sounds in the environment you know getting children outside can you hear there's a train on the track over there and a bird in the tree over there you know can you hear the difference between those sounds can you know discriminate between sounds can you hear where they're coming from can you hear that they're different that's a low long deep sound and that's a high pitched tweety sound and you know so it starts there you know really young we're, we're tuning into the sounds in the environment um but when we come to language, what we're thinking about, that first sort of the biggest bit of phonological information that we hear is a whole word. Um, and we expect children to be able to hear the gaps between words. You know, if someone spoke to me in Italian, you know, I hope it would be nice and romantic and everything. And, but I'd have no idea what they would be saying to me. Um, and I would never know where those breaks are within words. It would just be a stream of verbal information um, that I wouldn't understand. It might sound really nice, but wouldn't understand it. And it's the same, you know, we we expect, we assume, like we do with dyscalculia, we assume a level of number sense when children start school that they might not have. And then we get that one, two, three, four, five poem they've learned, but they've no idea <laughs> what the meaning is behind it. With dyslexia, we have this assumption that children have got, phono- their phonological awareness skills are good enough to enable them to you know, it's developed enough to enable them to isolate all of these sounds in words, and it might not be. So the developmental stages, we go from a whole word. So, you know, you've got children and they're not leaving finger spaces in their writing. So we're saying to them, where are your finger spaces? You know, between the words needs to be a gap so we can see where the gaps are. Now, they might not be processing those words. They might just have, they might just, it might just be a whole sequence of information and they're just no idea. And you see in children's spelling, you know, where they've split words up, you know, like they might spell, you know, enough, an A, and then a gap, and then N U F, you know, ah, enough, or, you know, they've not, the gaps between words aren't in the right places, you know, um, they've not processed all those, those gaps. Um, the next stage down is your sil- syllables. The next biggest chunk of phonological information is a syllable in terms of language. So then, you know, we go from whole words, do children know about where words go, you know, where those gaps are, then we go down to syllabification, can they process all those syllables in words, and this is where your rhythm and your rhyme and your beats in words and all of that poems and all those children's books now, my favourite ones, um, Some Dogs Do, Um, it's about Sid, Flying Dog, it's a brilliant book, love it massive pictures not many words brilliant story um Sid went off to school one day and it's you know um so yeah there's there's loads of all the Julia Donaldson books obviously you know all the poetry and the rhythm and the rhyme and all of those types of books um and the frog on the log and all of those um 
are great and you know children should be at all ages I mean I went to school once and there was a book box in the corner of the library that just said um, for key stage one children only <laughs> and they're all the picture books you know I love picture books um, many adults love picture books one of the joys of having children is that you can sit and read loads and look at loads of picture books some of the best picture books uh, um, David McKee is one of my hero uh, picture all the Elmer books and the King Rollo books um, and the um, Piggy Bank, Charlotte's Piggy Bank, just some great books, loads of pictures, loads of conversation to look at, lots of detail to look at, things that go through the pages that you can go, oh God, did you see that there and that there? You know, all of that going on. And then all the, you know, all of the um, the language and all of like the rhythm and the rhyme and everything. I've gone right off on a tangent now. I've gone right away from phonological awareness. Never mind. But yes, so, but yes, within that, yes, we need to have that children tuning into that rhythm, into that rhyme, so they're, they're hearing and processing that phonological information. Once we go away from syllables, then we get to things like onset and rhyme. So you've got your br, ain, tr, ain, gr, ain, and we've just got the same sound at the end of the word different sound at the beginning so your onset will change and your rhyme is obviously a rhyme so it, it's staying the same and so for children to be able to tune into that and then we get down to can they isolate sounds in words can they hear the sounds k at and put them together and say cat can they hear the word cat and go k at and tell you those sounds that they think that word is made up from and that isn't phonics because we haven't put any graphemes on there. It's all to do with them taking, you can have your eyes closed, you haven't got a pencil in your hand, you've got your eyes closed. It's all to do with taking in those sounds and being able to work with them. And this is a key characteristic of this profile of children who struggle to learn to read and spell. Okay, so I hope you get in the picture <laughs> around phonics. <laughs> so so is it a case of, because my, my experience of dyslexia was very limited. I did podcast previously with Aaron Smith, which was just fascinating to listen to. And you'd sit there and go like, oh, he hates reading. It's, no, I love reading, but I listen. So is it a case of a lot of, well, again, this is just Aaron Smith I'm basing everything on, um, that almost like in the classroom, they've got the phonology, they're listening, they're, all that stuff is working with sounds and oral language, it, is it when it comes to when it's written down and they're splitting words up or is it depends? No, it is the sound. No, this, yes, this is the deficit. So the, the, the listening to stories thing is a different thing altogether because this is about working with those sounds in language. So children who have difficulty with the literacy, with word reading and spelling are likely to have a difficulty with this phonological awareness at this level, at this fine-tuned, quite sophisticated level of being able to hear the sounds in words and put them together. The bigger picture of it is that you might have difficulty learning new vocabulary, for example. So you may, um, you may be sitting in a classroom and the teacher comes up with this new word of the day, which is triangle. And you hear the word triangle, you know, it's fairly complex. It's got three syllables in it. Um, and you might process that as right triangle because your phonological awareness or your, we'll talk about other bits as well in a minute, and your verbal memory, um, sequential memory, has not allowed you to store that word accurately. So, you know, the next time the teacher says triangle, you don't know what 
they might be talking about because you've not stored it, it's not there, you're not pulling it from your long-term memory because it's stored inaccurately. Um, uh, so, you know, that phonological awareness skill is literally, if, it's, if you've got a deficit, you know, if, it, if, you, if, you, if it's weak in your profile, you know, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. You might have all this phonic knowledge and you can sound out, you can look at the word cat and you can sound it out, at, but you're struggling because you find it really hard to put it together. So you might end up with tack or you might end up with, I don't know, something completely different than the word that you've just sounded out. Um, so, you know, that is one of the key sort of characteristics there of dyslexia. Um, am I, shall I move on to verbal, verbal, verbal memory? So, so that's the next. So on this, this second bullet point of the Rose Review, we've got this phonological awareness, this deficit in phonological awareness, children not being able to process um, sounds in words very accurately, difficulties with segmenting and blending um, to read and spell. Verbal memory is the next, is, is also part of this um, picture. So verbal memory is an umbrella term really for uh, three types of verbal memory. We've got phonological memory, which is about remembering sounds. We've got verbal sequential memory, which is about remembering infant verbal information in the right order. And we've got verbal working memory, which is about storing that stuff in your working memory while you're doing something with it. So if we think about phonics, we've got to sound out this word, phonological memory. Remember those sounds. We've got to use our verbal sequential memory to remember them in the right order. And we've got to use our working memory to store these things while we're blending it. So we might not be good at blending and we might have a poor verbal memory, <laughs> either, either one of those areas, you know, and I'm sounding out the word cat, k and I've forgotten all of those. I've forgotten the sound that I started with. I've not been able to hold it in my verbal memory. Or I might come up with the word tack because I've remembered all of those sounds, but not in the right order. Um, or I might have lost the whole thing because I've, once it's got to my working memory and I'm trying to work with those sounds, I've lost it. So it's not there anymore. So that's another area of um, this dyslexic profile that is, is often part of the picture not always, but often is, which is going to impact on my ability to, um, to use and to apply phonics. It underpins, it's a skill that's underpinning my ability to apply that phonic knowledge. So once I've got those graphemes, my phonic knowledge is my, I know all these graphemes, I know what to write, I know what they look like, but these skills underpin my ability to use that knowledge that I'm being taught in school. And don't get me wrong, schools do teach phonological awareness. They're not unaware of what's going on with phonological awareness. Um, but for some children, it's their, their developmental stages are still at work. You know, I'm still out, I still don't know where the gaps are between words yet. And you're expecting me to come in and do my robot arms and, you know, whatever it is and try and split words up and put words together. And I'm just sitting there and I'm looking at everyone and I'm thinking, what on earth is going on in this classroom? <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I can't, I can't remember what the sounds the teacher said. I can't remember them. And anyway, I can't blend. Even if I could remember them, I'm struggling blending. Um, and we'll come back to the big picture of verbal memory unless you want me to go well, well let's do it now <laughs> so the big the big picture of verbal memory is that you know it's about remembering what you've heard so children sit in classrooms every day and 
teaching is coming at them in a verbal, you know, verbal information. Information is coming at me verbally all day long. It's coming at me in the playground from my friends. It's coming at me in the classroom from the teachers. It's coming at me from my support staff who I might be sitting at a table with. Um, and I might not be remembering what's going on. Um, I need a little bit of time and I need to work with it and then I need another little bit and I need to work with it and I need another little bit and I need to work with it. So that big picture of verbal memory, you know, it's going to impact on on all learning. Um, and, you know, there's no way of increasing verbal memory. If you've got a weak verbal memory, you've got a weak verbal memory. It will increase with age, but it won't catch up. And we can increase verbal. We have to put in strategies. So strategies will support a weak verbal memory um, and overlearning and pre-teaching and things like that. So, you know, more the more the more we, we um, spend time doing things, um, the more likely we are able to then when they come at us verbally and we've got something to hook it onto, we're going to be more likely to remember it. Um, so, you know, those types of strategies will will support verbal memory. And it's the same at word level, but we'll um, come back to that. So we've got our phonological awareness is weak. So that's, you know, something that might well be, well, it will be impacting on your ability to apply phonic knowledge. Verbal memory, often weak in, a, in this profile of a persistent learning difficulty. And um, so that's going to be impacting on your ability to apply phonic knowledge. And then we've got verbal processing speed. And verbal processing speed is all about being able to pull out information from um, long-term memory and verbalize it. So it could be as something as simple as, what did you have for breakfast? And you know what you've had for breakfast. It's in your memory and you just have to get that word out. Marmite on toast, you know, that's what I had for breakfast. But I had to think about what you said. I had to process that information. I had to then make it verbal. To give my response. Um, part of this picture with um, uh, persistent literacy difficulties, children struggling to learn to read and spell, is that they might have slow verbal processing speed. So it can go all the way from, you know, I'm, I'm trying to sound out the word cat, I'm looking at the C, my teacher knows I know that grapheme, she knows I know what sound it makes, and she's sitting there waiting for me to say it, which is fine. But it's taken me a while to get it out. It's like, oh yeah, cut, 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 cut. And then the next letter, okay, my teacher knows I know it. I know I know it. It's in there somewhere. What is it? Oh, yeah, ah, ah, ah. And then, you know, you get to t and it's just, you know, oh, God, such torture. It's taken such a long time that when I come to try and blend it, it was a week ago that I sounded out the cut for cat. And now it's, you know, it's just not coming together. It's just too slow. So that's at word level. You know, and thinking about, you know, even high frequency words that, you know, you know, I know I've got the word they stored in my memory and I see that word and I know it's there, but it's taking me ages to get it out. So eventually, oh, yeah, they, they, they and on to the next word, you know, and it's just taking ages to verbalize this processing of verbal information, getting it out verbally. So those three key characteristics there, phonological awareness deficits. Um, poor verbal memory, slow verbal processing speed, all of them, and those, you know, the three bits within the verbal memory, you know, all of those, you know, if I've got a deficit in any of those areas, you know, let alone all of them, I'm going to have 
some difficulty, you know, is going to be impacting in some way on my ability to synthesize, you know, this phonic information, putting these sounds together. Um, and so, you know, those weaknesses with processing those sounds, remembering them, verbalizing them, being able to work with them. And then I get a whole load of graphemes put on top of that to say, right, this is what these sounds look like when we write them down. Um, and now I'm, you know, it's all going together really possibly quite badly. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, really, you know, part of my message um, is to, you know, let's look at this early on. We're teaching children aged four to use these skills that they might not have. They, you know, well, we were expecting children aged four to use these skills that they might not have. Um, and, you know, in the reading framework, fair enough, it does say, let's check very early on. I think three weeks in, they want to know how are these kids getting on? Are they keeping up? If they're not keeping up, we need to put in more phonics to get them keeping up. But we need to make sure that this, um, for these children who are not keeping up really early on, that we're looking at why are they not keeping up? What is it about their reasons for not keeping up so we're looking at a child and we're thinking okay we're expecting them by now to be able to read the word dog let's do cat dog today train might come in later on but we'll see <laughs> so we'll do cat dog but yeah um, so let's say so they the teacher will think well by now that you know all children should be able to do this 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 and one of the things is to read the word dog and this child looks at the word dog why can't they read it what is it have they looked at the word dog and gone b m l Blum, you know, what have they done? If they've done that, we know it's knowledge base. We know they haven't got the knowledge. And so, yes, they need to be taught more phonic knowledge. Okay, so it's, so let's carry on. Let's go back. Let's do more phonic knowledge. Let's teach that. Let's teach that. Let's teach that. That's because that's clearly what they need. They've not picked up what those grapheme phonemes actually, how they correspond to each other. If they've got the word dog in front of them and they say, D -g God, then we think, actually, no, they've got the knowledge. They don't need more knowledge teaching to them. They're just really struggling with that, putting that sequence of sounds together in the right order. That's a phonological awareness difficulty slash possibly sequential memory, verbal sequential memory difficulty. And so that's the sort of difficulty we're looking at with this child, you know. So, and is that impacting generally in the classroom? Can we see in the classroom... They are the child that doesn't remember what to do. Or when you say, put your, you know, pick up your, pick up your, your lunchbox, put your shoes on and coat and go out. They go and put their coat on and they go out or they, you know, or they go and put their shoes on and then they come back and get their lunch. You know, what are they doing in the classroom? Can we see this like verbal memory difficulty manifesting in a bigger way in the classroom? Or is it to do with, you know, but we can see from their the way they've decoded that phonics or not decoded phonics, um, that there's a difficulty that isn't to do with needs more phonic knowledge teaching. It's a difficulty to do with the skills that underpin that knowledge, you know. So, so your first example was they got the letters completely wrong. Then they got the D or G. What happens if they go B? Okay, so again, they've got, that, they've got that wrong. Yeah, so we've got a b, you know, so they might say b, o, g, dog. Who knows? Maybe some children already know that says dog, 
but they've been told to sound it out. <laughs> you know, you know yes. go, yeah. there's loads of other literally go, there's so many variations of getting it wrong. Wrong. Yeah, exactly. But we need to be really clear when they get it wrong. Why have they got it wrong? Really, the, 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 so there's really just two camps, really. One is, is it knowledge based? So they didn't know their knowledge. They hadn't got that graphene phoneme knowledge. Or is it a phonological processing, which is the term that covers all of those? Phonological processing is phonological awareness, phonological memory and verbal processing speed. So those are the, you know, the umbrella term is phonological processing. So have they got a knowledge based difficulty where they need to be taught more knowledge or have they got a phonological processing based difficulty, which is making they sounding it out accurately. But when it comes to putting it together, they're they're struggling to get it all in the right order or they're sounding it out duh, really, really slowly. You know, what pace are they sounding it out? at? Are they sounding out so slowly? it's preventing them from blending it and even if they are sounding out slowly and they can blend it accurately um you know that indicates you know that there is a slow verbal processing and again we need to be looking is that manifesting itself in the classroom can we see a child who's sitting in a group who doesn't really join in much who keeps quite quiet because by the time they've thought of what they want to say everything's moved on to the next bit and they're just thinking i'm just going to kick back here and just let everything happen in front of me or when they're on the playground there's rules of games being made up and they just can't keep up with it and it's all too much for them because it's um they can't join in so you know if those children who are really slow and, and these children who are slow as well you know we talk about verbal uh, reading fluency and actually some children will always need time to process and verbalize information we like i said with that verbal memory we can help to support that with strategies with verbal processing speed, we can support children to speed up with specific words by working on the recall of words that they already know. So if we know this child's got the word dog in their long-term memory, and even when they're, you know, they're not decoding it anymore, they know the word dog, and when they see it, they say dog. Um, uh, you know, but it's, it's taken ages to get it out. And we're thinking, actually, we need to speed up these words and they possibly be high frequency words. It's a really good idea to speed up the recall of high frequency words. And I am saying high frequency words, not common exception words. Come to that in a bit. Um, so, um, you know, that we put in place um, activities to support that fluency of recall of those high frequency words which will speed up the verbal processing speed for those words we've practiced it won't generalize into now i'm really quick at verbal processing um it will just speed up those words but i think you know i used to talk about the phonic screen and think looking at the phonic screen and, and looking at why children fail it what is it not just they've got 32 or 35 or whatever it is this year they need to pass um I don't know that it is 35. I've just clicked that, plucked that number out of the air. <laughs> but usually it's around 32. You need to get at least 32 out of 40 to pass the phonic screen. So, you know, but not just saying right, wrong, right, wrong, right, wrong. But what is it? Why have they failed it? Have they sounded it out accurately, but not been able to put those sounds together? Because that can give you that picture of, well, where do we go next? Do they need to go back and learn vowel digraphs again? Bane of life of many child. Um, or do we need to be thinking about, OK, what can they work with? You know, they can work with all of the single grapheme phonemes of the alphabet. They can work with those initial, um, you know, your ch and your th and your, and your sh. They can work with those. 
Um, so shall we have a think about, you know, they're, they're 10 now, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, shall we think about moving things around a little bit? Because they're not, you know, it's these skills that underpin the knowledge that, are, that, are, that, are, that where the deficit is. It's not necessarily the knowledge. Okay, so I think we've ticked off dyslexia. So that's in a nutshell. Those are just the two first bullet points around the, dis, the, the, the definition of dyslexia slash persistent literacy difficulties uh, from the Rose Report. And there are a few others, obviously, that talked talk about. And one of the main ones really is response to intervention. And you know, again, we've got this jarring, we've got this clanging of. Um, you know, response to intervention, and we need to make adjustments to, to meet needs. And but the, the the key thing in that statement is, you know, what is the response to well-founded intervention? And when it says well-founded, it actually means phonics. So we're looking at how has this child responded to this well-founded intervention? And we know now, since 2007, children have had, you know, access to good um, quality first teaching around phonics. You know, so we can look back and say, well, how did this child get on? You know, what do we think was preventing them from learning to read um, now that we've got to this age? Um, and, and, and what adjustments were made to then support those weaknesses that were highlighted? So, you know, that, and there needs to be not just, it doesn't say adjustments in the Rose Review, but it does talk about response to intervention. And that implies, therefore, they've not responded. We know from the code of practice, you know, that we need to be noticing needs, um, well, graduated response to needs. And we know from the Equalities Act that we need to be um, uh, noticing needs and making adjustments to meet those needs. Um, and so, you know, going back to this phonic uh, this picture of dyslexia uh, or persistent literacy difficulties um, against this picture of the reading framework which is saying more phonics more phonics more phonics it's jarring it's just so jarring and I hope from what we've just talked about people can see why that might be and how we can start to investigate the children who are struggling with it quite early on and look at what what those kind of difficulties may be um, being highlighted so let's move on a little bit. So the reading framework, it starts off well. It talks about language enrichment and it points out that vocabulary is, uh, if a child's got a good vocabulary, then they're more likely to get the word when they're trying to, to read it, when they're trying to decode it, sorry, and, it, and, it, and it's going to uh, potentially increase the child's ability to be able to read words at a glance. Little phrase snipped out of the reading framework there, reading at a glance. You know, I mean, the thing is, that's your goal. Your goal is to be able to read words at a glance. Phonics is helping these learners to get to the point they've got those words stored so they can read, you know, so they've had chances to decode and chances to get their, um, get these words stored. And when they see words they don't know, they can have a chance to, um, we're using phonics to decode. But like we've just discussed, for some children, that's going to be quite a tricky pathway. Um, and but and obviously there's other ways to get words into long-term memory than just uh, using phonics. We have people who can help us. Um, so so it talks off reading framework starts really well. It's got all this language, and yes, we need language um, to be able to help us to to do that. Um, but to make it easier, you know, if we've got that language, it's going to be uh, an easier journey. 
but not if we're insisting that then on top of that, it talks about all this language, all this language, all this language is great. And then it says phonics. Phonics is the only way to teach reading. <laughs> and it's like, hang on a minute. You've just talked about all this language and, you know, and, and, and how important it is. And then suddenly we're teaching reading to children by saying to them, we're going to be decoding. We're not making any meaning out of what we're reading. So children who are learner readers are not expected to make meaning from what they're reading. They're just expected to be able to decode the words. And as long as they can decode the words in these decodable books, that's all that matters. So for all intents and purposes, they may as well have a list of words because they're not expected. And until they can decode, then we put... Um, we put this um we put the the comprehension into it but quite ironically in my mind anyway they keep referring to the simple view of reading now if you don't know the simple view of reading it's basically very simple like i tried to keep it simple myself so there's two axes on the simple view of reading there's the x axis and the y axis and they cross over the midpoint and on the x-axis is that that one the horizontal axis until yeah so the on the x-axis um we've got uh word decoding and word recognition and on the y-axis um the vertical axis we have language comprehension now um this was put together in 1986 i believe uh goff and turner uh Turner put this um this simple view of reading together and what it's telling me is that together, you know, with our comprehension skills and our decoding and our word knowledge skill and our, and our sight vocabulary, we are able to be good readers or we're able to read. But we need them both working together. And what the simple read, view of reading seems to have done. Um, and it, well, I'll just go back to it. And, it. and then it can tell us, you know, the quadrants that are left. There are four quadrants there. And it can help us to, to look at why children might be struggling. And is it a comprehension and a comprehension difficulty? Is it a decoding difficulty? Is it both or is it neither? And they're good readers. So, you know, um, so it helps us to, to look at that. But actually, what it's, it is the simple view of reading. So, and it's telling us that the quadrant where we've got good readers, we've got readers who are comprehending and decoding and have a bank of sight vocabulary but what the reading framework seems to have done is they've split it in half it's taken the y-axis away from the x-axis and it said right let's concentrate on this x-axis let's concentrate on decoding 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 it's not even really concentrating much on those what they call common exception words it's actually even saying to teachers um don't teach children high frequency don't give children lists of high frequency words to learn because they can decode most of them they should be decoding them not just learning to read them they should be coding them because they're decodable <sighs> sorry i'll just sigh for a minute am i allowed to sigh thank you thank you okay um so yes yeah, so they've kind of taken them two axes apart and they're saying that once the child's got to a level of decoding, then we can expect them to start to comprehend. But they have to be reading these decodable books and then we can bring in some comprehension. When they're starting to read at a glance, words at a glance, then we can start to be thinking about uh, comprehension. And they're not using comprehension at all to support those learner readers. What they're using to support learner readers is phonics. And as we know, not all words are phonically decodable. 
So there are ways, obviously, that we have to teach children to read those words that are phonically not decodable. And so they must be learning them in another way, <laughs> which tells me, yes, there are other ways to learn to read words. Because look, we've done them. And at the, what's the goal? The goal is to get the words stuck into long term memory, ready for fluent recall when we see them and make sense of them within the passage of writing that we're reading. That's the goal. The goal is not I know all of these grapheme phonemes. That's to help me to get there. But if I can't do that, there needs to be another way to get those words into long term memory. And for those phonically implausible words, those words that don't follow the phonic rules, which is quite a bit of our language, um, you know, there's other ways of doing it. Why can't we do it? Why can't we do it in other ways? Um, yes, you know, like I said before, you know, alphabet, let's learn those graphing phonemes. Yes, let's learn those, show those initial digraphs. Um, but vowel, fo vowel digraphs, you know, for which, um, you know, uh, th there can be more than one phoneme for a vowel digraph. So you've got the digraphs written down, the graphing's written in front of me, and it can ha make more than one sound. Or I know what the sound is that I want to represent on the page when I'm writing, but it can be represented in more than one way. Like we had the conversation earlier about jewel, 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 and jewel. Yeah, and there's other yes. words. Yeah. <laughs> Read it, yeah, reading and reading, reading and, and and those types of things. You know, I'm I've you know am I dueling? I'm dual. Dual your friends. You're going you know dual with a sword. Jewels from the crown jewels. <laughs> All of those things. Yeah, kilojoules energy. Yeah, am I measuring energy um, output? You know. Um, so then they're the misery of many children because if they don't get if they don't seem to get phonics, we're not looking. I don't think enough at why that is. We're just thinking, oh, they don't, they haven't learned these graphemes. We're not thinking, is it because they can't apply the graphemes enough? I don't think. And also, are they ever going to get it? And also, all this time we're spending teaching these graphemes, could we be teaching them to read? <laughs> you know? One of the things, because again, I've not, I've never been a teacher, so there's a load of stuff I'm missing. And I say, okay, I probably shouldn't ask this question. But, but when I think about reading, is you're not, a lot of the time, like dog and cat, the simple words, it's the words they've used for a while or they've been exposed to through their ears and they've said and things like that. So we're now looking at it as a d-o-g-a. And I, I just like saying, so we're not teaching them a new word here. We're just teaching them that that is written down like that. And it is, and it, it does get kind of really odd. And one of the things we talked about was you get an example of, it was a child who had a picture of a ball and they went, but I went ball. They went, and they, they got told off because they should have sounded it out. Yeah. Yeah. They were told that actually, you know, let's not use the picture. We need to be thinking about what sounds are there. You know, we should be saying, but all ball, but the child yeah, said, but they've got the beginning sound. They looked at the picture, got the picture cue, said ball, but because they hadn't said, but all, they were told, no, that was incorrect. Let's do it this way. Um, and, you know, if we're talking about, and I haven't written anything down to chat about this at all, however, let's do it. Um, so if we're thinking about mental health um, and anxiety and, you know, children and young children, not, not young, young children, but, you know, key stage two into key stage three, soon as children start school, the first thing they're expected to do, the first big competition is learning to read. 
and we're there seeing their friends go up in these book bands and they're thinking, oh my God, I really, I can't get a grasp of this. I really don't know what's going on. And they're finding it really hard. Um, and they're getting more and more phonics. And they actually says, you know, if, you know, they have an hour of phonics a day and if the children aren't getting it, we give them more phonics. Um, and, you know, even if we know these children have started school with a poor language, even, you know, obviously we expect lots of language enrichment in schools, but perhaps that extra time isn't phonics. Perhaps that extra time is language, you know, vocabulary learning or something like that. And we can do some phonics within that lesson, maybe. But does it have to be the key focus? Does it have to be the main thing? But anyway, we've got these children who are failing to learn to read. We've got government data. You know, 82% of children passed the phonics screen in year one in 2018. OK, but 12% of those children go on to fail to get expected in reading at the end of key stage one. So you've got a big chunk of children who, yeah, by the end of key st at year one. So they're only five, six, end of year one, 82% of children, they've got all those grapheme phonemes and they can read words and non-words because half of the test is non-words. And we know that children want to make sense of the words they're reading. So even when they're reading a non-word, they may well read it as a real word because they're thinking, well, so children have, are drilled into learning to read made up words and are told it doesn't really matter if it doesn't make sense. If it doesn't make sense, it will be a made up word so that they can pass this phonic screener. So anyway, we've got 82% past the phonics screen in year one. So picture those little babies. They're just in year one. They've passed their phonics screen. They go on to the next year. And at the end of that next year, one in 10 of them will fail to get expected in reading. So that's one little bit of data. Um, so basically, for those, it is, I can decode I it, but any, I'm not no, attaching any meaning it, to it. If I don't understand it, it's not, a made up yeah, word and yeah. I move on. Which is just from somebody who isn't in the whole school These are system. These just words on their own. Yeah, that is yeah. the most stupidest thing. The whole idea of teaching children to read words with no meaning and it's just hmm. and are made up. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. the reason for it is to see if a child if a child reads a, a real word, they may be relying on their reading words at a glance. But for the phonics screen, we want to know: can a child use their phonic knowledge? to decode a word so if you give them a, a non-word or a made-up word they have to rely but then some children don't do that anyway so say if you had the word um um uh bly and it was spelled b-l-i-g-h bly a child might think oh that looks like light so that'll be bly that'll be blight and they'll work it out from their knowledge of a real word they might not be working it out from this phonic decoding they might be working it out in another way so and you just think that's how all adults learn new words i personally believe i look at a word in a book going oh well it's got a bit of light oh it's got that in it um i'll have a go at that yeah but, but then i'm i generally trying to work out hey i've never seen this world so what does it mean so i've worked out but like everything around it gives me context and understanding and not having that I wouldn't even bother trying to read the word. I'd look at it and go, that makes, I just wouldn't even bother reading it if, if I got nothing from it. So, yeah, yeah. It, and so we've got, I mean, I just started on the data then, but I was talking about, you know, this mental health of children. It, they, 
the levels of anxiety around not being able to read, you know, or reading stupid, what's the point of it anyway, you know, and children as young as, you know, year four, building up brick walls around reading and writing. Um, uh, be, yeah, uh, re- some recent research as well into the dyslexic um, brain um, was done on um, emotion, you know, emotions around dyslexia. And uh, and it transpires that potentially what they're seeing is that the dyslexic brain is more in tune with their emotions. And that's a kind of a double-edged sword, really, because one, we get a lot of reports. You know, I do quite a bit of assessment and, you know, I ask about, I talk to the children, obviously, and, uh, lovely. That's my favourite thing to do is to work with children um, and, uh, uh, and tutor them as well. It's lovely. Love it. Um, but yeah, we, we talk to them, and they 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 they're always delightful. And um, often teachers will say, "Oh, they're really helpful. They're kind. Are oh, they like animals? You know, or oh, they love playing with the younger children." And you know, lots of really caring, kind uh, attributes come out about these children. And it seems to me now this so this research when it came out wasn't really a surprise to me to see that um, it seems that the dyslexic brain is more in tune emotionally, more empathetic towards things. So we've got that really lovely kind, and I think kindness is underrated massively. We've got this kindness going on within these children, but at the same time, it makes them quite vulnerable. So they're quite sensitive people. So um, building this brick wall comes along because they're trying to protect themselves from this difficulty that they're, you know, having with this reading that they've seen since the day they started school. You know, three weeks in now, we've got three weeks in, you're being checked to see how well are you responding to phonics. If you're not responding to phonics as you should be, you're going to be getting more phonics. We're going to be on you and getting, you know, um, and, and more and more of this, less and less of the stuff you're potentially really good at. Where's the paint? Where's the water? Where's the sand? You know, <laughs> Where's the outside? Get me out of here. You know, and so it goes on and on and on and on, you know. And so, yeah, I do meet children who have, built this brick wall and but underneath they're really quite vulnerable um and it creates a you know as we go on and we're starting to talk more about it in Leicestershire anyway around dyslexia and mental health because we talk a lot about social emotional mental health but these learning needs and mental health has kind of fallen off the agenda a little bit and we have got children sitting in classrooms who have got really poor verbal memory really slow processing struggling to read struggling to write and they're just not suited to that learning environment where there's lots of verbal information coming at them. So, you know, read, not being able to read and write is, is part, obviously, a massive part of that picture. Um, but the bigger picture of it is creating that, you know, uh, lack of engagement, not going to school, kicking up a fuss. You know, I don't want to be in it. I don't, I don't want my mates to not know I can read and write. So, you know, I'm just going to make a first swear at the teacher I'll get sent out and I'd rather be in isolation where I don't have to try and do any of this stuff than sit in this room and listen to all of this so and get shown up potentially um I'd rather not be in here so you know but it all starts off at the beginning with this failure and I can see where they're coming from with the reading framework and saying right we have to catch them young and do this and do this and do this but yes we have to catch them young but are we saying what are we saying to do about it? Are we are we actually saying that these are the right things to be doing then? There's no alternative there. It is, if phonics don't work, do this. It's if phonics don't work, do more phonics. This should be an alternative. 
And as, as you've been listening, I'm talking about it. I'm like, I don't do that. And it is, I think, as you get an adult, you you have this large vocabulary of words in your head. And I, I work in education, and I'll come across a word, and I will, I'm going to say the word, decode that word, but I'm going to decode it using my knowledge of educational words. I'm going to use it within the context of the sentence. I might read on a bit to work out what that word means. Oh, it's always oh, it's, it's, oh, it's a dyslexia. So it might be a dis, that sort of, and I'll decode it, not phonologically. I'll decode it with understanding of what the word means. And I remember the first time I heard the word pedagogy. One of the things I never heard it before. And then suddenly I was at a conference and yeah. I heard it 54 <laughs> times. Okay. That. Well, how yeah. do I even spell that word? Yeah, pedo. Yeah, pedo. Yeah, goggy. Well, godge. Where's there ever been the word godge? What? So I do this, but then I work in computing, and I'll come across words in computing. I'm going, I have no idea these. And, and you, you literally, have, I have words I say in my head, and I learn it the wrong way, because Microsoft Azure is Microsoft Azure. It's like Asia, but there's an R in there. So where's Azure? Where's that gone? So, but you come across these words and someone's decided how to spell it. And there's a, there's a, an image file, which is GIF. Right. Yeah. Which is graphic interlaced format. It's a GIF, but apparently it's a pronounced GIF. Oh, is it? Oh. But it's a G and it stands for graphic. So you get all these random rules, which. Um, yeah. There's so many exceptions to so many rules and you just, you so I just don't use a phonics approach. I just, I, I think I use a phonology. Again, without the phonics, is, it might be something I just do without thinking because I've got it, or I don't. And I look at words, and again, Aaron Smith, who's, who's, run, who's, who's launched the Dyslexia show, is dyslexic, and he has a huge bank of strategies that he uses that hides his dyslexia so you wouldn't know in certain situations other situations he struggles but one of the things he said he goes I've, I've never read your company logo i said what he goes i just see some squares on you and they go oh b squared so he's never read the word b squared he's just seen squares and go who are you b squared squares b squared perfect cool remember that never never gonna he's never gonna read that word does it matter it's a logo he knows who we are um and there's lots of things he's done conversation we had earlier about being in school and those expectations of school and and you know if you know I imagine he was one of the people who actually you know had his own way of doing things and I met Asenko the other day and it's fantastic and you know for one child who's severely dyslexic he'd said to him I don't want you to write down what you've learned today I want you to because he's a really good artist this lad I want you to draw me pictures so draw me some pictures in your book about what you've learned and then at the end of the lesson we'll just have a couple of minutes and you can talk me through your pictures Conversely, when he was asked to write stuff down, there's no way he could he couldn't write it, he couldn't read it, he could have a go at writing it, but he couldn't read it back. And so when the teacher said, "What have you learned today?" he had no reference points to help him to remember what he'd learned today. Drawing pictures, he could go at the end of the lesson and said, "Yeah, well, we did this," and then that meant that da 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 da. And he'd done a series of pictures, and he was able from that to tell his teacher what he'd learned that day. So, um, you know, so in the real world, I think this. 
type of learner will be fine because you know we've got all this software we've got text to speech we've got immersive readers we've got on our phones we've got siri you know we've got all these ways i use siri when i send uh, text messages which blows people's minds sometimes because they can get quite long because <laughs> i'm not having to type it all out <laughs> just use siri but you know we can overcome i mean neil mckay will talk about it as well his thing is all about overcoming barriers you know, I always say there's a double edged thing for everything. We need to help children to overcome their barriers. But at the same time, we need to acknowledge what their needs are with the child and work with them to try and improve their outcomes with the things they find tricky. But we at the same time, we need we can lower those barriers to reading and writing. And school schools put in barriers that don't exist in the real world. So. Um, but part of the reason they do is money and uh, being able to manage. And in reality, we're still stuck on children have to write paper tests. So they have to be able to do all this stuff. But the moment you get into business, throw your pens and pencils away, unless you're a teacher who love your notebooks and pens. And pen. But I use a keyboard. I use my phone. People dictate to their phone. It syncs up everywhere. I do everything digitally. I know the schools aren't digital. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not. I would never, ever, ever um, say anything negative about teachers. You know, I think they. I take my hat off to every teacher. Um, I think they, the amazing jobs that they do um, with all of our children. I think they are highly constrained by things they're told to do and financial difficulties that schools are in. Um, but they do, as I said to my husband this morning, they. They make the best of what they've got to do what they can to support the children at the moment, you know, with COVID and everything and lack of staff. Um, you know, it's just people are making the best in schools of what and have done since the beginning of COVID. And I think teachers had a really hard time from the general public over COVID because they thought we were all on holiday. <laughs> you know, oh, when are you going to get back? You know, teachers aren't. No, it was just you know one of the hardest times and it just I take my hat off to every teacher so there's no way that I would bring it down I, you know my my thing is talking around what is dyslexia what does it look like how are we teaching our children to read is it the right way you know we, we've got the BDA the British Dyslexia Association at the moment are petitioning the government about their reading framework and saying to them you know this has got to be we've got to have another look at this you know, we can't just say this is the sole way to teach beginning readers, you know. So there's quite a lot of, you know, there's quite a lot of eyes on it to try and work it out. But then there was this meta-analysis. I know I've gone on too long. Um, <laughs> there was this meta-analysis meta around um, phonics done in, and produced in January 2022, just this year, that basically just I won't go into details, but it came out, you know, the, 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 the overall outcome, of course, was back to this simple view of reading. We need a balance, we need a balanced approach to teach children to read. But actually, we didn't really need that meta-analysis because the government data tells us already from 2019 that we've got, you know, we've got 75% of children getting expected in reading at the end of key stage one. We've got 73% of children getting expected in the end of key stage two. And if we take those children who fail to pass phonics in year one, you know, we've got 18% of children who fail to get phonics at the end of year one. We all, all the, you know, all we know is that half of those children go on to get it in year two, but only, um, 
only 30% of those children who pass it in year two go on to get expected in reading. So if you've got your group of four children, say at the end of key stage one, you get all your children who failed the phonics screen and you get you put them into groups of four. From each of those groups of four, only 1.2 of those children will go on to get expected in reading, okay, um, if they pass the phonics screen. Um, if they didn't pass the phonics screen, their data just goes out of the window. There's no data from the government that tells us what happens to those children who don't pass the phonics screen in year one or in year two. But we need to include those children in that group of four as well. So, you know, we've got children fail the phonics screen in year one, half of them go on to pass it in year two. Of those children, 1.2 in a group of four, it will impact on their reading. And then we've got to chuck into that group of four all of those other children who didn't pass the phonics screen at all in year one or in year two. So the kind of data is already, so we don't need, I mean, the, the meta-analysis was talking about phonics in the first place, but this looking at SEND children, you know, we're talking about the children who fail the phonics screen in year one and what difference is more and more phonics making for those children. And actually it doesn't seem to be making that much difference in terms of attainment in reading and the government data is the government don't give you enough data you have to extrapolate <laughs> so i've extrapolated why 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 don't we get the situation if a child fails the phonics test in year one we screen for dyslexia that sounds quite a simple rule yeah i think yeah or we screen to find out not necessarily but what is the cause of their difficulty so you know if we could do a phonological awareness assessment we can do a verbal memory assessments if we can do processing speed assessments and then we can see is it these things that underpin the ability to use phonics are they prevent are they a preventative and how severe are they are they so severe that actually we're flogging a dead horse here we we may, may let's turn it on its head and and think about doing something you know um think think about doing something different and there's someone pointed out to me the other day you know for the the, the 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 country that is most intent on teaching phonics you know most obsessed country in the world just about on teaching phonics yet we have one of the least phonetically decodable languages so explain please explain <laughs> it's i'm going to say like many things in education it's fashion somebody's decided it somebody likes it it's very fashionable there's a load of analysis which says it works they keep all the analysis which doesn't work quiet or um and it's only one we always like one rule we always like this is that you just do this it's simpler well my, my one of my things about um, the education system is that it's got to be measurable we can measure phonic attainment we can measure grammar we can measure punctuation we can measure spelling we can measure times tables we can measure maths we can measure reading to a point but only reading comprehension really is what's happened but we can't really measure writing so we don't measure writing and the government you can't it's really hard to measure someone's actual writing there's so many attributes that have to come to writing to make it successful so we, we wouldn't you know it's hard to give a, a score around writing Obviously, teachers do it and they're looking at progress when they're looking at progress. But in terms of end of key stage data, you know, we don't really look at, you know, there isn't a test for writing anymore. That went out the window and was replaced by spelling, punctuation and grammar because we can measure those things. So suddenly we're teaching frontal adverbials and noun groups, you know, all this mm, sighing again. 
because um, it's preventing me from saying things. But we're not assessing spoken language. It's there's no pre-key stage standards for spoken language. Let's not assess it. There's no uh, end of key. It's just I think for key stage two of it, or is it whole of key stage one or two? There were just twelve statements. So schools don't assess, and then say, oh, they're struggling with their writing. Have you looked at their language? No, I don't need to assess that. It's just assess writing. It's like you need to assess both, but it's been removed as a priority by the government because they're not holding. So we don't. They don't do it. And I think that leads to um, a lot of issues. And I did a um, podcast with Wendy Lee, who's a speech and language therapist with a le- literally and language link. It's huge. And the fact that schools aren't assessing it and aren't thinking of it. And I talk to schools, we, it's in our assessment. We have reading, we have writing, we have speaking and listening. They're like, yeah, I'm not really fussed about that. I'm like, but they need that first. And you're missing a lot of information if you're not assessing speaking and listening and the reading and writing. Can they do it orally? And they're struggling to put it in paper. Yeah, and and you know, going back to that vocabulary, are we are we um, really? We need to be thinking of children entering school. What is you know? Have they got the vocabulary that they need? Because if they know what a cat is and they're sounding out cat, they're more likely to get that cat than if they've no idea what that is. And in terms of you were saying before about that that uh, rhythm and rhyme around language you know where does where are, where's the emphasis in these words and everything if you have that word already stored in your long-term memory when you when you're trying to decode it you're much more likely to get there um which kind of takes me to the one of the things that made me um just cry slash laugh <laughs> in the reading framework at the end of it it gives you some examples of what we can teach children to read what we can give children to decode um, at a certain point, and it tells you, you know, if a child has learnt these high-frequency words, well, no, 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 common exception words, sorry. If a child's learnt these common exception words, and I think there's like three common exception words, and all of these vowel, uh, all of these grapheme phoneme correspondences, um, then they can read, They then they can't read this, and they give examples. I mean, they do treat teachers a little bit like they're idiots, but they can't read this, and they give you a passage with lots of words crossed out because they can't read them because they haven't learnt these vowel graphemes yet or these, you know, correspondences yet. So they can't, learn, shouldn't give them this book because they haven't learnt these sounds. But you can give them this passage to read. Um, it's a it's particular passage um, is about sharks, um, it kind of makes sense. It kind of it swaps tense at one point. Um, but one of the words in it is the word skeleton. And it's like, right, okay. So because I know I can read the word skeleton, can I? That's eight, eight um, phonemes to hold on to. Eight. It's like, so what they're saying is just because I know these sounds, I should be able to decode that word. And it just, I just thought, ha, if I had the word skeleton in my memory, if I know what a skeleton is, I, I, I might get there. Um, even if I do struggle a little bit, maybe with, you know, some aspects of phonics, I might get there because the word's there. Um, there's not much contextual information to help me with decoding it. And anyway, I shouldn't be using that anyway. I should be purely decoding. But if it's not there and I've got, and I'm struggling with, with, you know all of those things around this persistent literacy difficulty profile 
then there's just no way. So I might have all of that knowledge and I meet children. I've met a number of children who know all that knowledge. I met one little girl once and I said, um, what's your favourite thing to do in school then? And she said, oh, phonics. And it's because she was she was good at learning the sounds and the graphemes. She could learn them all. And I said, that's great. I said, does that help you with your reading? And she looked at me, no. <laughs> so she, so she, you know, and school knew, they knew that, that she had, you know, lots of different issues and she 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 was successful in phonics. It was good for her self-esteem to be in those sessions. Which she was with her age group and her peer group and, you know, there was lots of reasons she was in there and school were aware that she she needed something different to get her reading. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, it just made me howl because I just thought, well, it, you know, there you go, all of this knowledge, but actually no way of applying it. Just really cannot, cannot blend um, hasn't you know potentially some of the vocabulary might not have been there but um so yeah oh very uh interesting yes there has to be more than phonics there really does i mean um you know just what i said with the with the least phonically decodable languages in the world and yet we're insistent on going forward with this and you know and the reading framework like i say there are positives to it but this insistence on um, going and going with phonics and just saying, you know, that one of the, yeah, that, you know, that actual quote from there saying the children should continue to read. This is for SEND children. The children should continue to read decodable books. That is books that include only words with grapheme, phoneme, correspondences. They have been explicitly taught until they can blend sounds to read new words fluently and automatically. So therefore, if we've got children who aren't blending sounds very well to read new words fluently and automatically. Are they going to be stuck? You know, we can't move you on um, because you can't blend these sounds, even though you might know them, you're sounding it all out accurately. So it's, um, you know, and, and the thing is as well, you know, we've been doing it since 2007. It's nothing new. We've just been told to do more of it, but the data's telling, the, the actual government that's telling us to do it, their data is telling us that for a quarter of our children, it's not working. <laughs> so basically, stay at the same level and don't invest in more phonics, invest in something else for the pupils the phonics doesn't work with. So I'm just going to end the podcast on a story which kind of links into this, but it was something I heard. It was on a radio show, Dave Gorman, and it was somebody's story. And it was this person who was a double sale, double glazing salesman, went round to this lady's house and did it away. Can you name, please? And she went, Yes, it's Wiveney. <laughs> and how would you spell Wiveney? She's going, oh, How do you spell that? Any guesses? Do you have any guesses how you spell um, Wiveney? Is, is she saying with an E or is he saying Wiveney? <laughs> okay. Are you ready for this? Why? I'm going to write it down. <laughs> V, y, v, yeah. So it's Y, V, O, N, N, E. Yvonne. And what's that name? <laughs> Yvonne. <laughs> However, her mother read the name in a book, and it was a character that she loved, but she didn't know how to say it. So she, instead of reading yeah. it as Yvonne, because yeah. she had the vocabulary, yeah. it became Wi-V-N-E. And that became how her mum read it. So that is what she named her daughter. And this daughter, for her entire life, going, oh, Yvonne. Wiveney. No. <laughs> Wiveney. <laughs> That's hilarious. 
Because <laughs> that is the name that was given to me. So although it is written and pronounced, everyone else would call me Yvonne, the name my mother gave me was Wiveny. And it's just, there's a context. She didn't have the knowledge. It just, she decoded it that way. And that's how it started. Well, this is it. And I think it goes on to like, you know, not asking these children to read out loud. Because actually when they read in their head, that's how they read. They'll read with an E, but they know who she is. They know she's the mum of the daughter or the daughter. Sorry, she knows that she's the daughter and her mum's named her with an E. And, you know, so they'll read this story. Whenever they say with an E in their head, they'll say with an E. But it doesn't matter because they know what it means. And my one of my examples is very similar. I've got the word Persephone, you know, and that's actually Persephone, but it's about Persephone. I know who Persephone, daughter of Zeus. Every time I read it, Persephone knows she is, carry on reading, doesn't matter. But if I'm reading that out loud, or if I'm decoded, that's how I've decoded it, Persephone, because that's what it looks like, you know. So I have to say, I have to say, I have to say the word almond. I have to see it with an R in my head because I won't say almond. And my wife gets grumpy if I say almond. There's no in there. Say almond. Almond. There's no L in that word. There's an R. Almond. Yeah. It's almond. No, it's almond. Mark Armand. Yes. Almond. There's an L. Why is the L gone? God. So, yeah, there's so many words. I have to, especially when I'm trying to type it. I have to say that word differently in my head so I can spell it. I want to put an A in sentence. Unce, unce. There's an unce there. So it's intense. It's intense. I do it's that. Quite yeah, BDs, like probably. So, I'm like, and I have to like, and it's like trying to get the right sounds out. Sometimes it takes a while. And I consistently spell the words wrong. So I have to say it in my head or I go, oh. Yeah. It's yeah. just strange. There's an L, there's an L, <laughs> but don't say it. Um, say thank you for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed it's been it. A pleasure. And it is, it is. I, I, I like learning. And I, again, you just, from my point of view, you just assume you see the word, you can read it. I remember going to Ogger and Dog, but I could just go to Ogger. I don't, I don't remember having difficulties. So you just assume it's just you do the ogre and you dog. Yeah, you've got it. Cool. But actually, there is 32 steps before doing getting to that, which children may struggle with. Exactly. All of those underlying skills that are going to prevent that from happening fluently and automatically. Um, you know, and so sometimes children are at a disadvantage from the outset because they haven't got those underlying skills there in place. So it is a it is you do need to pick that apart. So if they're going the ogre, are they going Duh, taking that long time concern. If they get it completely wrong, it's that. But as you said, so it is picking it apart and identifying what it is they're struggling with. What do I do about that? Not just keep doing it more until they do get it. Yeah. And is there another, is, is, would another way, especially those older children, which is, you know, what we've developed in Leicestershire, we haven't really got onto today at all, but the, um, you know, older children trying to motivate them again because of their mental health. They don't, you know, know that resistance against reading. So it, we're now having to break down that barrier to start with because of failure, repetitive failures. Um, and then, you know, to, to motivate them to want to read by giving them the ownership of, of what they're, you know, what do you want to learn to read about? And also, I think as you get older, even these children, their vocabulary from tv and the world around them will be probably quite big orally i would have thought and then having to go duh is quite childish 
So there's got to be more, I think, age appropriate. And also, if you are that old and you've got that vocabulary and you see one of these made up words, you'd be going, well, I know that's, that's just no. There's a whole logic thing there going, no, I'm not going to read that. It doesn't make sense. The way we support children here at the moment, for some children anyway, those children we call those ones that are at the top of the triangle, you know, they've had this quality first teaching, so they've had all their, what they've needed to start with. They've had their adjustments at mainstream, you know, in the, and to some targeted intervention, but they still, you know, they're still struggling, you know, it's just not working for them. So we turn it all on its head and we say to them, like, what do you want to learn to read? And we, we just, and we have a zero failure one-to-one intervention in place where where they're learning what they want to learn to read they're choosing some of the words that they need to learn to read that are important for them and we're doing lots of learning activities around words we're doing lots of overlearning activities around words we're lots of doing lots of fluency activities around words but it's all based on them learning stuff so they might want to learn to read the minecraft manual or they might want to learn so they can go home and it they'll be able to then make their Minecraft world better, you know, because they can read what they're supposed to do, or they might want to learn to read about motor cars, or they might want to learn to read about, you know, the David Walliams books or whatever. They can just have a go at it. Cause I just say these high frequency words are everywhere. And although the framework tells us not to give kids lists of high frequency words, okay, give them a, them in a book instead, <laughs> you know, and yeah, and reading list, to children. I mean, that is in the framework to read to children. And, you know, it's absolutely, you know, it's crucial that children get read to. It's how their vocabulary is built and they can hear all that rhyme, that rhythm, that good modeling. It's absolutely for parents out there. It is the number one thing you can do is read to your children and keep reading. Even when they can read themselves, you're still reading to them. You're asking them, what do you want to read? Do you want to read, you know? Use your libraries, use your school, get the books the child wants to learn to read or would like you to read to them. And if you can read yourself, that is the number one, apart from feeding them, obviously, and keeping them alive. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it is, it is if you if you can almost like you every time they learn to read more, you you're you're the next level. You're filling their head with the vocabulary. They're hearing the rhythm of these words you're using. They'll go. They'll get halfway through the word and I'm going, oh, that's that word. And it just helps. It fills in that knowledge and it makes life easier. Right. I will stop talking. Sorry, Dale. <laughs> <laughs> so you've given me a couple of useful links and I'll be putting those in the show notes along with your contact details. And you'll find them wherever you listen to the podcast or on our website. Thank you for listening. If you haven't subscribed already, please do subscribe. You can find links to subscribe across all the different podcast platforms on our website. And our website is www.thesendcast.com. And please follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast. And on Facebook and Instagram, we are The Sendcast. So nice and simple. And please share The Sendcast with everyone you follow or listen or share on the, on the platforms. Let as many people know about The Sendcast as possible. And before we go, I would just like to remind you to check out what we do here at B Squared. As well as this podcast, we have our online CPD platform, Training for Education, and you'll find a number of our guests are speakers at one of our virtual SEND conferences or have recorded their own training courses. Training for Education is a great way to get CPD for all staff around SEND that is effective and affordable. Visit www.trainingforeducation.com for more information. And lastly, don't forget our assessment product. This is what B Squared is famous for, breaking things into smaller steps. So we can help schools show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make. 
And we cover a huge range from early years. And we literally start at birth ability level all the way through to post 16, preparing for adulthood, life skills, employability skills, and everything in between. Visit www.bsquared.co.uk for more information. So thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Bye, everyone. Bye.